Welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Sam Roberts and I'm joined today by... Phil Savage. Top Senior. We're going to talk about a variety of new games today. Uh, on the list I have Thumper, Battlefield 1, Halo Wars 2 and uh, Tomb Raider DLC. Uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider DLC rather. Um, so we're going to start with Thumper, which I saw Tom playing at lunchtime hmm. and it basically looked like he was going through the Stargate at the end of 2001. Yeah, Trippy that's pretty close. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's a rhythm action game in which you play uh, a silver scarab hurtling down uh, a, a track that's only just wide enough for it into the gob of uh, a giant evil head called Crackhead. So it's a very unusual drug treatment <laughs> program, really, just shooting a tiny bug into a, <laughs> an addict's face. In the yeah, that... one of the success <laughs> rate is on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I haven't completed the game yet, so I've yet to find out. Uh, but yes, yeah, as you kind of hurtle down the track, there are little kind of lights on it, and you can thump them by like bumping. Uh, this is very weird. It's a very strange game. By yeah, th- the terminology isn't. Yeah, you, you sort of bop these points on the ground with the the underside of your beetle by pressing A. So like playing Frequency on PS2. Yeah. Or, uh, one of the Guitar Hero games, I guess. And then you hold down the jump button to kind of go into uh, power mode, which lets you kind of break through uh, the kind of sort of there are Barrier holes, barriers things, yeah. across your track and uh, between the thumps and the barriers you create rhythms between the bass note and the kind of hi-hat sound and uh, it's, this all takes place on a very psychedelic background but very dark and very menacing and ominous and the soundtrack itself is uh, not as musical as you might expect from any other mm. rhythm action game it's actually much more just kind of like menacing ambience and a kind of call and response mini game built into it uh, and the result is Really intense, deeply uncomfortable, uh, and a little bit samey <laughs> after, yeah. uh, you know, uh, on like level seven now. And the rhythms change and the time signatures change between uh, between each level, but functionally, like, the colours don't really change very much. It looks spectacular initially, but they don't change, the kind of ambience of it doesn't change, and nothing seems to really be evolving or moving forwards as you're kind of hurtling closer and closer to Crackhead's big face. Um, Phil you've had your eye on this one for a while um, yeah um, putting it in the preview section of the magazine and such Um, are you you pleased with the end result I think I am actually Um, I'm only probably four or five levels in at the moment oh no I've just hit level five which is the bastard level from hell because it's in like a five four time signature which is quite difficult to get your head around if you're trying to keep things to a beat it goes up to nine and nine nine will be a bastard as well yeah for some reason Okay, well, I, I, I'm not really very musically minded to understand that. How do you mean, like, so, uh, you've got to count every five seconds between beats or something? Yeah, so for every like every bar, there's five beats in a bar instead of four. Right. And we're basically, in, in Western music, and particularly in kind of British and American pop, everything almost is in 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. In uh, kind of, in, like, Spanish traditional music, there's loads of 5-4. So, weirdly, someone playing that level from Spain would probably be much more instinctive yeah, in tune with it. Chinese opera fans might have a better <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I ever knew this about music, but uh, I appreciate you explaining it to me. Yeah, so it's basically five beats to a bar instead of four, and that extra one-fifth beat fucks up everything. Everything you think you know about rhythm instinctively, that puts it one out of every every bar, and it's quite uncomfortable. Wow. Uh, And Thumper's really, really good at putting you into an uncomfortable state of mind using its rhythm. So the kind of call and response rhythms you're playing out kind of are related to the time signature that's happening, but they, they are like an uncomfortable length. So you'll have like a one and a half bar section of call and response. And then that will happen again, but like two beats later than it happened before. And then it constantly shifts and, you know, antagonizes the the, the, um, 
four four or five four six four rhythm whatever, whatever yeah, the level is. I do enjoy the sense of dread that you get from it and the way it's like the way it plays with. Uh, ideas like velocity and stuff and the sort of escalation on your progression i mean tom's right it's not very varied especially like in terms of its visuals it's quite samey there's only a very sort of basic progression of mechanics and stuff like that but it is very clever in terms of scoring and stuff Hmm. and i've not been mucking about with the high scores too much just i'm checking that someone just tried to invade our studio there (laughs) We'll keep, we'll keep that because uh, yeah, it's, it's it's texture. So carry on. Generally, you know, <laughs> for leaderboards, all I've done is check that I'm beating Chris Thurston, and then that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> because in Chris my head, he's the one who's good at games. If I'm beating him, then I'm doing well at this game. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, he probably isn't even aware of your rivalry. But um, does he get a notification or something if somebody? I don't score? think so. It's just general Steam leaderboard stuff. It's mm. not like fucking Forza Horizon 3 with its Windows 10 integration that messages me in the general notification <laughs> bar when somebody called Yginge, who I've never heard of before, <laughs> beats my time at a track I don't remember doing. Yginge. <laughs> so, Fantastic. It's just that name. That yeah. Name. Oh, that's amazing. I just imagine, I just imagine uh, Chris being in his like control room and someone coming in and saying, uh, <laughs> the buzzer's going. <laughs> Mr. Thurston, I... Uh, Phil Savage has passed your Thumpus high scores. I see. <laughs> and you're only one ahead of a gentleman called Y Ginge. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Y Ginge. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, despite there being like a very. It's all about the precision and getting the pathing right. There are little tricks you can do, um, especially with. So, in addition to jumping, there's a thing that is actual thumping which is you jump up and you hover in the air and then on the next sort of note that you've got to press down on you slam down and that creates new scoreboard points for you to hit Mm. um you can (coughs) chain things in various ways that increase your score and doing all of this obviously increases your chances of fucking up and Getting something wrong is quite a is quite a violent experience. Like if you hit into a kill corner or one of these barriers, your wings are basically smashed off your back. Uh, you lose your kind of chrome sheen, and then if you get hit again, you're dead. And generally, because of how timing based everything is, if you mess it up once, that kind of disrupts your sense of the rhythm enough that it's quite hard to recover from anyway. Yeah, and also when you kind of get mega combos, because you can you can chain combos by correctly hitting stuff. Uh, and then when you do like the mega thump, where you're flying and you thump down extra hard, if you do that like enough times consecutively, you get like mega points for it. And it also kind of freezes the screen for half a second to show you how yeah. amazingly hard you thumped. But in a rhythm game, it's like that fucks you up completely. Like there's a, if you if you're counting at all or kind of trying to feel a rhythm of it, it just puts it all out. Yeah, if you do it on the last bar of a boss attack, it yeah, just, everything goes batshit. And... Yeah. Uh, the bosses are quite interesting because every now and then uh, a boss will just kind of try to start swallowing up the track ahead and you have to hit a set number of kind of green points in a row to unleash a kind of electricity bolt or something that zaps the boss and hurts them. Hmm. But there are also these concentric metal uh, sort of mini, something out of Tron, and when they're hovering over the track, if you miss uh, a beat, 
they they all destroy you with lasers. Mm. Wow! And then so you have to make it through those sections, and then the the, the big the spaceship will leave again, and you're you're free to fuck up a little bit more than you previously did. Oh. There's also metallic shimmering worms that will fuck oh, you I, up. Yeah, those things. <laughs> Uh, so it's a deeply strange game, but it's it's far more kind of complex. There's a lot more to it than you'd initially guess just by looking at it. Yeah, I must say, I I, I kind of uh, thought it there was some combat element that was just related to you hit a beat and then it's done. Mm. Um, it does so, look like audio surf, but it hates you. But it there is more going yeah, on. It looks to like it. angry audio. Yeah, surf. angry yeah. angry audio surf. Uh, okay, interesting. Uh, well, I've I have a code for this, so I'm I'm going to check it out. Um, but yeah. like, uh, it's it's a bit of an underserved genre on PC, the old mm. uh, music game, like. Um, there's a few. Uh, Ephemerid is a really good music game, um, and obviously, wasn't there a new version of Amplitude released last year as well? I don't think that came to PC. Uh, it was a PS4 exclusive. I think it was just called Frequency or Amplitude, one of those two. Oh, it was re-released. And it was pretty good, but oh, I should have come to PC too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's weird. And then um, on PS4 this week, they just got a new version of Res, which mm. um, yeah works in VR. Uh, that, that, uh, that's never made it to PC somehow, no, even though it's sad, one of one of the best. So, oh yeah, it's, it's good. Representing. Thumper has PSVR support and it is getting Vive support right. soon, I think. Mm. And that's going to be a horrible, horrible experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do wonder that. Like, uh, it, it seems, that seems like putting Rocket League VR in or something. Like, don't do it, you know. You're just, I'm, sorry, interested to, I'm interested to see you play it, Sam, because I think you'll either quite like it or you'll have a violent distaste of it immediately. Oh, jeez. Well, <laughs> I, I can only think of one game I've had a violent distaste to in the last year, and that was Vanishing of Ethan Carter. But um, when a, a, a goblin yeah. man grabbed me and I was furious. <laughs> but, um, I, I can say there is no connection between Thumper and the Vanishing of Ethan no. Carter. They look like very different the, games. The most opposite games. Uh, but it like Thumper is about. I thought it'd be about drops and making big kind of musical moments happen and stuff. And it's not at all. It's about mm. making you anxious as fuck for yeah. a long period. <laughs> Jeez, it just kind of things that no human being enjoys. Top. Yeah, but it's so well, it is quite 82%. well done. It's it's, it's, uh, it's a, the challenge is worth it. I think I do, I'm enjoying the challenge even yeah. at the late stage. It's quite gets quite difficult. Okay. In a in an exciting way, and oh. it is really exciting going fast, isn't it? Feels great. Well, it did look really cool on your screen. Yeah, it's beautiful. Is, is yeah. there much to do? Be is it nine levels then? And then it's eight or nine levels. I nine think. levels, I think. I think it's nine. Okay. Is there anything to do beyond that? I, I guess score just... attack after that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, like there's a there's a ranking system. Uh, so if you want the best rank, you've got to get the perfect, not the perfect score, but the like not miss anything across all the checkpoints within a level. Okay. Uh, which is difficult. Right. Okay. Oh, very well. very difficult. I will check this out and report back. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So moving on then to Battlefield 1. Uh, yeah. Another of the many Battlefield 1 embargoes has lifted uh, as we're talking, Phil. Technically, this is the final one. Oh, is with it? Okay. three, yeah. Oh, so it's just two then. That's not too bad. There were three. We missed one because it was literally pointless. <laughs> <laughs> there okay. are only so many things I can write about Battlefield. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, um, it's, it's interesting because um, you sounded slightly more positive on the single player than the multiplayer when we talked during the event. Um, yeah. But it seems like you've warmed to the multiplayer a fair bit uh, right. this week. I do enjoy the multiplayer. It's a case of, with any Battlefield game, you've just got to sort of process it because they all exist within a fairly defined experience that is what a Battlefield multiplayer game is. Like, you know what you're getting into, and that's held true across... Like, there's been 10 Battlefield games, not including free-to-play and console-exclusive stuff. Right. Um, but within that, it, it's a very different thing to Battlefield 4. Um, it's about as far away as you can get while still basically just being a Battlefield game, wow. which is an interesting thing to process because it's very similar but also very different simultaneously. 
So in what ways does it differ quite strongly then? So, I mean, the main thing, and probably my favourite change, is how weapons work in this one. I can't remember how much I talked about this last week. A it, little bit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, essentially, you know, the weapons are not as good. And I'm fine with that. Like That kind of appeals to me because I think a lot of death in Battlefield 4 could feel quite cheap. Especially just because of like it didn't matter what you were what you were wielding, you could be effective at most ranges with the right attachments and stuff. And Battlefield wanders away with most of that. Like there are no weapon attachments. There's none of this customization. I mean, there's some basic customization, but it generally extends to what weapon do you have? Hmm. And each weapon has maybe three different models based on the site that you've got. But you can't go into like the nitty gritty of well, I want this grip, which will give me. Uh, you know, two percent increase in rate of fire, or whatever. Mm. Why would a grip do that? I don't know. <laughs> okay, just saying words. Well, it sounded like the pacing of it was something you uh, you enjoyed. It was slightly slower. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. because of that, it's slightly slower because you, you, the role you pick has to you have to play it in the way that that role is intended. You can't mm. you can't be a medic and expect to dominate at long range, or even uh, an assault and expect to be particularly effective at mid range. That's the, the guns you have are specifically suited to one task, and while you'll get the odd kill uh, in, away from your effective range, that's that's more luck than it is you being amazing. Wow! And yeah, just just that pace and that sense of like having more clearly defined roles, having that tactical edge of working within your boundaries kind of makes it a more satisfying experience as an infantry game. And I think that's what Battlefield 1 is is mostly spec to be. It's like, it's most exciting when you're actually on the ground and you're charging across fields and, you know, bullets are flying and there are explosions and randomly there's a gas attack and you've got to hammer the T-button to put your gas mask on. But you can't aim down sights with your gas mask on. Well, okay. Just like a real war. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so um, I guess like one thing you could talk about now is can you talk about like your favourite maps and uh, mm. the, the whole um, massive train with guns on it and airship thing? Um, is there more variants of that, or are those the two that kind of uh, you know recur throughout? Uh, the ones I've seen properly are the um, yeah the massive airship, the big train, the big ship. Oh, there's a big ship. There's okay, a big I ship too. That uh, yeah, that that one we, was. <laughs> was available during the review event, uh, but not during the play first trial or whatever that was, right, okay. or the beta. Um, and I didn't get to go have a go in it because inevitably, with any of these things, it spawns and every asshole on the server just jumps in immediately <laughs> and you can do nothing about that. <laughs> yeah, Actually getting to pilot a tank or ride a horse or be in a plane or anything is a, just a pure chance. It's like you respawning at the exact moment when it's spawn time and runs out and you go, wow, I could do this right. for once. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but you yeah. seem, you seem to, I, I, I couldn't really tell how you felt about it last time. Like, this is a thing, but should there be more vehicles? Should well, they be spawning quicker? This is, the, this is probably like the biggest difference from Battlefield 4. It doesn't have that same kind of multifaceted like 3D battlefield experience going on where you know you've got the tanks are rolling in and some ones with a rocket launch trying to take it out and also planes are happening and that does happen but it feels like it feels like they're more set moments over the course of a match like things to heighten the drama for the inventory than it is for for it to be this like sandbox story right okay that every every vehicle and option plays a part within it um I think it is just there as kind of 
um, Dave Horton described it. I was talking to him about it earlier, and he described it as a boss fight, and it's sort of that a bit. Well, okay, <laughs> it's just like this moment where okay, now there's a tank, and that's the thing we've got to deal with. Like you could be very because it, because it's highly lethal, especially if all the guns are manned. Like that thing can cut you down quite yeah. easily, and you don't have the rocket launchers or whatever. You know, your assault classes have anti-tank grenades, and they do a chunk of damage but a good driver will be able to repair that damage because you can repair inside of the tank. So one tank spawn is incredibly powerful. And I, what worries me a bit is, like, the reports from the beta were, oh, this is actually super overpowered, the tanks, and that this is a problem. And they fixed that, and I think they have just fixed that by reducing the timer on the spawns. And that seems like quite a last-minute yeah. fix for something that should be a bit more considered. When you reduce the, uh, you know, the health of the tank or... You know, or the armor rather. But tank, tank doesn't have health. But yeah. At the same time, I don't. Oh, I think they, they may have nerfed other bits as well. I've not. Okay. But at the same time, I, it doesn't look like Battlefield One has been designed to replace Battlefield Four in the way like Battlefield Three just nullified the existence. That that might as well have never existed once Battlefield Four came out. Yeah. Um. The, like what EA are doing with the launcher now is that when you load into Battlefield One. And it's all done through an in-game menu. There's no battle right. bullshit anymore. <laughs> but that has tabs down the side where you can select Battlefield 4 and Battlefield Hardline. And it's not quite launched yet, but I assume the point is that you click Battlefield 4 and you're in Battlefield 4 with the server browser and everything, and it'll all be integrated through uh, the same nice. wrapper, essentially. And Hardline, which people play all the time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, I mean, say what you want about Hardline, and I've literally never played it, so I have no opinion. But they are, again, three distinct branches of a very similar thing right and it seems as if dice wants to create an ecosystem where they can all run parallel and that means i don't really mind that battlefield one isn't what battlefield four is it doesn't need to be because battlefield four will still exist yeah yeah It'll, and people who go launch into battlefield one will have it there as an option or i can play some battlefield four a bit and that seems like quite a clever way of keeping that game active it's not just a case of like, I still think Bad Company 2 is probably the best Battlefield made, but that launch, that, that's long gone. Like, you can't go, really go back, right. because the like handful of people who still play that are absolute fucking lords of it, yeah. and will demolish you for ever deigning to <laughs> tread upon their ground. <laughs> I wonder if the Battlefront 2 will end up in there, because again, that is the Battlefield mm. formula again, isn't it, even though it's a very different flavour. It'd be interesting. So, um, so this is within the game's menu? Yeah, it's. Um, I don't quite know how it works because Presumably it doesn't seem to be live just yet. Right. Well, I don't know if it will because. Well, yeah, because uh, you can't. You surely can't have all the assets for three Battlefield games in one game file on Origin. That's going to be like 150 gigs, isn't it? After all the DLC for Battlefield. I mean, you'd need them all ex installed as separate things, wouldn't you? So. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, uh, how 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 exactly does that work? Like, I don't know. Okay. Like, you've got to have a separate. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And also, it's not live at the moment because if you click Battlefield Four at the moment, it just says, "I'll buy Battlefield 4. It's like I own it. Don't don't make me buy things. <laughs> so you need, a, you need a separate hard drive that's just your war hard drive, and that's yeah. where all the Battlefield goes. It's just like 200 gigabytes of war, and you plug it in to your PC. And yeah, yeah. they would love. That. <laughs> I have I, I have heard on a separate note that the uh, the hardline um, single player is actually quite fun in a guilty pleasure. Mm. Seven out of ten sort of way. So one for you. To I'm all over that. Yeah, I'm yeah. Over that. that's great. <laughs> the um, okay. So is there anything more to say about the single player? Like, um, did you get any further into that? Uh, yeah, I played a b bunch more of the war stories now, and they are. All good to a certain degree. Okay. And, like, there are <coughs> problems probably with each of them at various points. 
Like, I don't enjoy flying the planes much. Especially, I haven't tested it much in multiplayer, but in single player, it seems very kind of. It feels nothing like I'd imagine flying a plane would. <laughs> I got, I've got, I played this a bit of Gamescom. They might have tweaked it since then, but I found them absolutely impossible to control. Really, uh, but you said that you find it quite simple. Is that right? Yeah, it would seem quite simplistic. And I did switch. Like at no point did I think I'm going to try and control this with a mouse, so I just switched over to a gamepad to that do that. Might be my mistake mm. <laughs> because yeah, like yeah. trying to trying to wrestle a thing around tight U bends and you know sharp turns or whatever with a mouse just seems like an exercise in madness. I, I know, but because I'm from PC gamer, I can't be seen to be using a controller <laughs> at a press event. That's the thing. Otherwise, I'll be I'll be jeered by YouTubers. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. Anything more to add on Battlefield One, then, Phil? But so yeah, um, just. Dipping on the single player a bit more, there are within it. I think within each one, with, with each of these war stories, there is at least one section, like one scenario that is quite memorable and pretty good. Like, say in one, you're kind of, it's a very linear um, tone thing where you're crawling through no man's land, and that's quite effective, especially because it looks like it looks beautiful in a very grimy, muddy, oh yeah, kind of harrowing way. Like the way mud clings to your gun and stuff is is really well detailed and it looks extraordinary at times. Wow, um, a lot of stealth stuff. There's a great one uh, in the storyline that sort of follows Lawrence of Arabia for a bit, where you've basically got this huge sandbox map and three outposts along it, and you've just got to infiltrate all of them. But you can do it in whatever order you wish. And there's some, you know, rudimentary stealth there that works pretty well. And it kind of feels Metal Gear-ish in... I mean, not with the tools and stuff, but just, like, being in the desert, infiltrating these places, mucking about with the AI routines and stuff. It's kind of cool. That sounds all right. Yeah. It's, so the anthology format really has sort of let them free them up to just sort of try things and see what works. And sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it comes off quite well. So approximately how many hours of single-player stuff is in there? Probably five to six. Like, each war story will probably take you around an hour or so, assuming, you know, you don't fuck up the plane bit <coughs> over and over again. <laughs> uh, which the guy in the press demo who was demoing it to us did lots. I did not <laughs> We cave. thought we'd never been out there, <laughs> out, out of that presentation. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, all right, well, uh, cool. Well, uh, that might be the last we have to talk about Battlefield 1 now, I guess. Possibly. Like, like I guess the thing now is... Does it run on live servers? Like mm. when everybody's trying to play it, will the server just fall apart? Will everything go horribly wrong? Yeah, like it did with Battlefield Four that one time. Indeed, which is why you'll see the review in progress on the site right now, PCGamer.com, yes, rather um, than the review, which is coming to... <coughs> probably as of like Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, this week. either late this week, early next week, yeah. depending on. Um, there've been a few bugs I've noticed already. Um, generally, if you respawned, uh, you're fine, but occasionally the you get hit by the occasional bug. Uh, endless resport, endless reloading was one that was hit with. Okay. Uh, I couldn't get out of prone for a while, but it's always fine when you die and respawn. Yeah. So there's a quick fix. Just like real world. Death. <laughs> I'm interested to see if it, how uh, how it will capture people's imaginations. This cho- this choice of setting. I think people, based on the beta numbers, people do seem to respond to it. So. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to tell because. Um, the rambling of people on the internet isn't necessarily a good indicator of what's happening in the world. No. But in the chat client, there's been a mix of people who seem to be really enjoying it and people who are calling it complete garbage and who are very angry about everything about it. 
Okay, right, yeah. Well, um, that just sounds like people play video games to that me is, on the internet. Yeah, <laughs> completely standard video games. So that's not helpful, really. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, we might revisit that to see how they've kind of like addressed some of these issues post-launch as mm. well. Need to see how that tank thing turns. Yeah, I'd imagine there'll be a lot of tweaks and stuff around that. But yeah, I mean, having not loads of tank stuff going on is fine. It works. And if they, I guess, if they can reintroduce it in a better way, I don't know. Reintroduce makes it sound like it's not actually that big a deal. But they are still there. They do still play a role. Well, it can, but you know, like you say, if you change change the spawn timer, then it completely changes the type of game you're playing. Because like, if you. Horton saying it's a bit like a boss battle is actually quite an interesting analogy because like it makes me think everyone turns around and goes oh shit there's a tank coming we now have to work to figure this out rather than it being like this big melee of vehicles mm. uh, which is- and, yeah that's how it feels like it's almost like we you don't see much in the way of tank versus tank fights it is a case of if a tank spawns it can it's sort of free a bit to just muck about with mm. just try and destroy inventory and can get away with that unless the inventory is working together to to bring it down. Okay. Well, the important thing now then is to see what PC gamers John Strike thinks about mm. <laughs> Yeah, that um, that really will be the test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'll get his thoughts and probably reload reload those on the podcast, which would be good. Um, okay, cool. Then next up then is Halo Wars Two, hey. which I went to see last week in uh, Redmond in Seattle, which I think is a town just built for Microsoft employees. <laughs> it's very very quiet. <laughs> it's weird. Um, but uh, yes, um, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Mall Watch 2016 <laughs> on your Twitter feed there. Yeah, sorry, the permanently empty mall. <laughs> I would like to apologize. It's an opportunity to apologize for my Twitter feed. Um, but yes, uh, so yeah, I basically uh, went out there. It's, this game is developed by uh, Creative Assembly in collaboration with 343 Industries. So, for those who don't know, Halo Wars was a real-time strategy game made by Ensemble, uh, the Age of Empires developers, for the Xbox 360 in 2009. Um, and I reviewed it at the time for a magazine called Games TM, and I uh, gave it a 7 out of 10, uh, which I was a bit lower than everyone else, but I think it's because I came from PC strategy games that are so much more complex. So they focus more on combat. You can't choose where to build your base, for example. All the bases are in kind of like fixed locations, and uh, you, instead of having the um, kind of like uh, dragging to select units, you just uh, use this kind of like circle uh, to paint over units with a controller. Um, it was quite an elegant solution to it, really. But um, I think the problem with it was that the 360s hardware meant that you didn't have... The unit cap was really stingy. It was like... Mm. I think it was about 50 in the skirmish. Right. And, like, using a, uh, using a scarab, which is one of the Covenant's um, big alien units, I think was, like, 10 or 20 of your units. So you, you, you could never really... You couldn't quite approximate that big mm. Halo kind of like RTS experience as promised, um, and it never came to PC. Which I don't, I still don't know how I think about how I feel about that because if it came to PC, I think it might have been sort of like so what, um, you know, versus other stri- RTS games. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that this is now coming to PC, and I've tried it with a, a keyboard and mouse, and uh, I I quite like it. It's good. Um, mm. It's sort of uh, it's very it is very simple. If uh, it has uh, kind of like rock, paper, scissors uh, sort of like thing with its units where if a giant air thing comes in, you'll need to get like a Wolverine, which is like a, a anti-air tank to shoot it down. And mm. 
that's basically how uh, how the, how it works on, on a kind of larger level. And like a lot of the units uh, are from the uh, previous game. You have uh, leader powers in it as well, um, like other RTS games. And so you can call in like an orbital strike. You can summon like some ODST units from uh, from the sky, and I'll just land on the battlefield and join mm -hmm. in. Uh, you can do some do like a radius of like healing powers and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, so all of that was in the first game, but like um, is it definitely feels like a lot busier than the first game did. Um, unit caps a bit higher. They haven't specified yet, but after the beta, they got a bit of a bad response for the population. So <laughs> they said it was lowballed for the beta, but they're going to up it anyway. So right. and it felt like in my demo that it was about the right scale to me. Like okay. there's a lot going on. Um, but it's weird because you can play it with a controller, mm. but it's definitely better with a mouse and keyboard. Um, and I played a couple. I've played a few things there. So um, they. They got us to play a campaign mission, which was only okay. It felt like an early campaign mission. I feel like in any RTS game, if you play an early campaign mission, it kind mm. of like doubles as, as a tutorial at the same time. Just still learning how things work, like yeah. building bases, garrisoning units, that sort of thing. And um, that was just fine, I would say. It was just okay. Um, but then they showed off a multiplayer mode called Blitz, um, which was a lot more interesting. So this is basically uh, a card game-based RTS mode where you have like a starting area. It's like 2v2. It's a starting area. You have a starting area where you can spend a certain amount of energy to instantly summon units onto the battlefield. You, you, you play a card. You have a hand of four cards and a deck of 12. And then you, uh, you can play a card. Say like a scorpion tank is 110 points, but like some marines are like 10 points. Okay. Um, so you can, uh, you basically, yeah, you, you, you don't have bases. You just instantly summon units and send them to uh, capture three different capture points in the center of the map. And throughout the game, um, they will drop energy uh, energy across the map, which you have to fight other players for, mm. and then you can summon in more units. Right. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it's interesting, because um, it made me wonder if base building was necessarily the right thing for Halo Wars, because mm. it doesn't... It wasn't that exciting in the first game, and I've, I've, I've actually played Halo Wars at a couple of events now and not written about it, because I had nothing to say about it, because... Mm. Um, in one of my demos, like we immediately won because the other team didn't know how an RTS works. So right. it, was, it was we just captured like four points in the map, and then the game was over. And I didn't even have one interaction with an enemy. So I thought, well, I can't write about that because I know nothing about it. <laughs> and then the la same thing largely happened the next time at Gamescom as well. These are the more traditional multiplayer modes with base building and stuff. But yeah. all you do is select like a thing, build a, like a thing that generates power, a thing that generates energy. Like it's it's pretty plain. Um, this is much more exciting, I think, because you, you just drop units in and they're there. Yeah. And it's like, right, off we go. And um, there is an element of... Because you don't know what's in the other player's decks because you you build decks um, in like the menu before the game. Mm. It means that they can drop in some units that you're not necessarily prepared for. Um, and, or you might have one card in your unit, that you so one card in your deck that you know is the right, uh, is the right match to take that unit out. But... Uh, you can burn cards instead of using them, but that costs a bit of energy as well. So mm. there's a sense of gambling. Like, if I need a Santier thing, how much energy am I willing to spend? Because if you spend 20, that's a unit you could have summoned. So yeah. it's interesting. Once you've used all the cards in your deck, the deck reloads. So basically, you know what is waiting for you at any time, yeah. theoretically. Um, so it's quite interesting. Yeah. Like, it's really fast-paced, and it takes about 7 to 12 minutes to play. Yeah, that sounds quite um, interesting, yeah. Tom, you're the strategy expert. Does that sound much like other kind of multiplayer rts modes that you've uh, you've you've sampled before there's some uh it's kind of a bit of an unexplored area the whole no basis thing world in conflict is a very good example of a game that did did it very very well where mm. um that just basically gave you a pool of points there weren't cards but um and there were like several deployment uh circles 
around the map and you just literally spawn them in those circles and then you'd capture objectives to unlock new circles so you could uh, you know unlock new flank flanking strategies by taking this school which would then open up a you know an area for you to summon in tanks and stuff mm. and world of conflicts really like overlooked great old strategy game um that basically is, is a shame because it had some interesting multiplayer modes where uh you always like would play co-op with each other against enemies so i would take a tank uh the tank aspect of the army and someone else would take the helicopter aspect of the army you'd have to work together to fill in each other's weaknesses as mm. you were fighting against the ai or against other players and it, it, that was just really really smart and sound and also immediate and also had nukes and exciting things so it sounds a little bit like there's some similarity between that and halo wars and, yeah and like the people are, people are very married to bases sheerly because of nostalgia for yeah. command and conquer and total annihilation and, and all, all of that i've always thought they're a bit overrated <laughs> i must well. yeah I, I must admit playing this now i kind of thought is this since this has just been a genre staple forever is that mm. why it has to still be in here even yeah. though it's not necessarily that it's it's a it was a good match for something like age of empires or uh, uh command and conquer where resource <coughs> farming was an important part of what you were doing but mm. even um, going back to red alert which did recently red alert too like Yes, there, there's a there is a, it's an it's an elegant way of doing the resource management side of it, but it is also just kind of busy work. Yeah, because you're just like, okay, well, I need to get to this path to get this unit, and I need this unit because this unit is literally the most effective unit in this, the unbalanced red alert too. <laughs> <laughs> Not so, unbalanced the first one. Well, no, no, <laughs> sure. Um, it goes back to conquer, isn't it? It but, goes back to like so. June two is the great uh, one of the first. It's basically set in stone a lot of the RTS tropes. Yeah. And it mattered in June 2 because space was uh, a scant resource. You could build on rock, but if you built on sand, your um, buildings would die over time and could be attacked by worms. So that, like, there's a spatial reason to have that mechanic in and to actually plan, plan a base. Yeah. But then if you just transpose that onto a field, then you're just planting yeah. boxes and uh, they're making men. It doesn't really make any sense anyway. It's very true. Mm. Um, I think there's also... I mean, yeah, the only, the only decent part of it is in terms of like general rts mechanics is that you can ta you know tactically disable specific parts of somebody's unit composition and building production that's true but yeah away we, from that yeah what really happens though is that if you're in the enemy base that's it that's the end of normally the end of most rts games like that ten, like even in programming that tends to be the gg moment yeah for sure that's, yeah it's interesting because like uh, i i i uh i sort of get that having like real estate on the map is is a part of why you feel like you're dominating in an RTS game mm. but it's not the be all and end all and like um I like the idea that they've uh, tried to find an elegant solution to that and so they've described it as kind of an arcade like mm. uh, sort of experience and um you could in theory do what you d you described in World of Conflict there where um you if you're playing 2v2 <coughs> and you're with another player you could basically just build a deck of mm you know, like tanks and uh, air vehicles and they can focus on infantry and, you know, yeah. uh, whatever else. But, like, um, yeah, it's sort of... Because uh, it doesn't just do units in the card, uh, the cards. Like, um, when you when you kind of, like... Uh, when you've, uh, you've racked up enough points, you unlock a new booster pack, you can open that. They didn't say, but I assume they'll do, like, microtransactions for it. But mm. I don't see... Based on the pace in which you unlock them in this, I don't see why you would need to. But you can unlock hero cards as well, like one-off units that are really powerful. Drop those into the battlefield, but they can have like up to 300 uh, energy costs, which is a lot, so they've mm. really got to be worth it. Um, and then you can also uh, uh, use those leader powers as well. So if if you've got like a radius or missile strike, and uh, at, the, at the right moment you go to a capture point, send like one Warthog to a capture point so they're in your line of sight, you drop that missiles on them and then you send your forces mm. in. Like that's... That's actually like a, is a really good set of strategies you can put together as you learn what your what deck works for you. Um, 
and there's also an offline mode as well where you can uh, it's firefight which is based on the halo kind of like horde mode thing where you and i think a friend can can basically just fight waves of ai um which itself is quite a nice thing so it goes from like 10 easy levels to being really tricky so um huh. yeah it's quite a lot going on really um <laughs> but I, I i thought it worked it worked really well and like uh there was it just com- it completely uh, some of the design decisions in it make completely made sense so you have like um uh, hornets in the game, which are the flying, uh, basic basic flying vehicle that the UNSC, the good guys, have, mm. and uh, there's like a healing version of one of those, which I think I read in like the beta. People were saying didn't necessarily make sense, like they didn't see why it was a good addition. Then when you play this mode, every single unit you have on the battlefield like matters, and so if you lose one, that's you know that's yeah. a, you have a finite amount of energy to spend. Mm. So I was kind of sending my nightingale between. The diff- my different capture points on the map just healing units and doing like a, a patrol pass mm. so that decision makes perfect sense there it's a really good call for a new unit mm. another interesting thing you can do is on the capture points a little bit like World of Conflict if you've captured one you can summon in units onto onto those mm. so deep in the battle but they arrive at half health uh, right. so there's a gamble aspect to that as well yeah interesting um, so it's uh, it's quite a, quite an interesting uh, thing and like uh yeah, it's there's enough going on in it as an RTS. I think PC players will find it interesting on some level. Not sure about the other multiplayer modes yet because mm. it feels like a, a standard RTS in a lot of ways. But this this kind of card system was genuinely interesting. Yeah, and it feels like you've got to do something a bit new because Dawn of War Three is on the horizon. That's a very traditional RTS in many ways. That's base building and big armies and spectacle and you know uh, rock paper scissors stuff. Yeah, StarCraft Two still exists and that's still amazing. Mm. Uh, for another traditional RTS, and and it's just we need more games like uh, the Eugen system games, and mm. what it sounds like this is uh, just trying to add new things to the RTS. Yeah, it's been stagnant for a long time. I was writing about Company of Heroes, its tenth anniversary recently, and that was a game that made its own mark on the RTS genre. It had a real vision about what it wanted to do, what type of conflicts it wanted to simulate, and you just don't see that off that very often. So it's nice to hear. A different approach of some kind being taken. Yeah, and like uh, I, I was thinking, like because I was I was harsh on the first Halo Wars because it was so simple, and I thought mm. an RTS player, what would they get out of this necessarily? Yeah, yeah. But then I, I playing this now, I kind of thought, well, there aren't many of them around now, and maybe just playing something that's a fairly simple RTS that's got quite, quite lavish production values. Uh, with a you know a universe that's pretty uh, that's pretty a pretty good match for an RTS I think mm. maybe that's like enough maybe that's okay um, they described some of the different mission types they suggested sounded interesting too like um, there's one where you can uh, you just control like one Spartan soldier like going through a map and stuff and I thought oh, that sounds kind of like novel and like you know a good use of the fiction and it's definitely one that's made for Halo fans but mm. like um, they seem determined to try and grab a PC audience and like. Um, the other good they've really worked on the feedback of how those cards are as well. So, like, if you basically on your starting area, um, if you've got a controller, because I, I played the Xbox One version as well, you have to like hold down a trigger and press a button and make it appear. But you've got uh, one is uh, one, two, three, four hotkeys for. Uh, summoning units in this so you can just double tap one then a tank will appear and like it's a really nice little sound effect and it it feels really good Mm -hmm. and um, sometimes if you just summon a tank at the right moment and it turns the tide of the battle it feels really really good Um, so I I like it like um, it's it's, yeah creative assembly it's a mix of um, alien and total war devs Mm. Uh, basically the the halo diehards Um, and so yeah it's uh, I'm intrigued how is, uh, do you speak to anyone from 343? Are they, how are they informing the development process? Well, I, it turns out that um, 
I think three four three are working on the audio with Creative Assembly, mm. um, and like the all the kind of story lore stuff for Halo, which I'm not personally that invested in, but um, I understand that fans of the series probably are. Um, like that, they work with them on that. Like it's um, it, the first Halo Wars was set before the game, so it was largely quite faithful to Bungie's lore mm-hmm. um, and didn't try and overstep its boundaries. Here, uh, Creative Assembly has literally built its own units and added it to the universe and right. stuff. And yeah. I was chatting to them at dinner and they were saying they're like oh yeah it'd be, it'd be really cool if these turned up in an fps in a few years and mm-hmm. it's like that's quite nice so 343 yeah. basically i think are overseeing it you know um but trust creative assembly to just get on with it yeah. I, I i think is the way it's going down cool yeah nice. yeah um so yeah halo wars too um yes i'll be more about that in a future issue of the magazine <laughs> uh but yes once we've made it once we've made it okay cool so finally for our uh, games of today we're going to talk about uh to rise of the tomb raider 20th anniversary DLC? It probably has a better name than that. I think it's called the 20-year celebration pack. So it doesn't have a better name than what you said. (laughs) It has a worse name. (laughs) Well, arguably it has a worse name, yeah. Um, Okay, so this is a strange, strange thing. It's obviously released for Tomb Raider's 20th anniversary. Coincides with a PS4 version of the game coming out, right? Yeah, sure. Which I I assume might have been an impetus behind it coming out now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, probably. That makes sense. Um, But... For season pass owners, I think it's a season pass thing. It's like otherwise, it's eight quid, ten dollars. Um, it's there, there's a new story chapter. There's a zombie combat mode. Right. I'll put my thumbs up if anyone can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> star I'm, thumbs up. Star. Yeah. And um, also, you can reskin Lara to look like her various polygonal PS1 forms. In the main game, so is that is that insufferable? <laughs> uh, I took a screenshot of it because I thought, well, they've done it, so I need to take a screenshot of right. it, and then I switch back to one of the normal, not old models <laughs> because I'm not insane. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So you liked Rise of the Tomb Raider, didn't you? I liked Rise of the Tomb Raider. I was less keen on its uh, DLC missions afterwards because they were all very much filler and didn't add anything. This is. This is the, the main story chapter here. It's a standalone thing set in Croft Manor because if you're going to do a 20th anniversary DLC thing, you might as well do it in probably the most recognisable location. I think that's a nice idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost a nice idea. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, so why However, yeah. so the problem is, um, well, for one thing, it asks the question, what if Tomb Raider was gone home? Um, there's no combat or even really jumping or anything oh, you can jump but there's no reason to what you do is you explore this manor and you find audio diaries okay uh, and then you listen to the audio diaries and you go huh that's what everybody's gone to the rapture would be like if everyone was possibly posh <laughs> <laughs> okay. does it have one from the butler that's just <laughs> stop killing me <laughs> it has one from the butler in which he retells an incident in which Lara locked him in a walk-in freezer there you go that's re- referential and that's the only real reference mm. so there's that only bit where they lampshade like the okay. old games because they've I, abandoned it haven't they so it was a reboot the so, biggest yeah. problem yeah. is like this is still kind of uh, as well as being its own timeline even within this timeline it is it, it, set before any of the other Tomb Raider games yeah, because we're sense. still in that prequel series. Lara's not really yeah, Lara yet, yeah, yeah. is she? She's um, she's just in someone else's house. <laughs> yeah, and like specifically so, like she's camping out on a couch 
because she it doesn't feel like her home anymore. Okay. And this is kind of how it becomes her home and like mm. discovering the things that make it feel like she belongs there. I, I think they could have gone way more down that kind of fan service. Really I kind of think they should have because yeah, they're, they're specifically the advertising it as the twentieth century, the twentieth year celebration, whatever you call it. Yeah, it should be like they you should know, celebrate the past Citadel, twenty years. Know. Like they should, but it doesn't exist in that universe, and they don't really do. They, they, I don't know. They seem too into the story they are telling, right. which, let's be honest, isn't great. I mean, it's just no. I mean, like everyone woman knows is traumatized, that... but also good at finding old <laughs> things. Everyone knows like the cheesecakey aspects of earlier two Raider games are embarrassing. However, mm. they were good games. Yeah. Um, set in like some quite interesting environments, particularly the earlier ones. But yeah. There isn't a switch that you can hit it and then uh, you have twenty seconds to run into a topiary maze and then uh, a big kind of water feature is moved and suddenly there's an underground bit full of dead bodies or no, there's treasure. no there's no <laughs> obstacle course anywhere. Oh. <laughs> you can't shoot a butler's metal tray no. while he cowers and defends himself. Mm. There's no quad bike. He doesn't. He yeah, doesn't wear an army track. uniform at one point. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't even exist because no one exists. All you really do is walk around and listen to audio logs. And there's some interesting little puzzly bits in there, and it's all fine. And the story they tell is okay. Uh, it really having other British actors in there who are doing a sort of BBC Radio Four drama teleplay thing. Right. Uh, kind of reveals how bad Lara's voice actress is. Right. It just it sounds so wrong. She kind of sounds like she's just really slowly drawling out words, and it's weird. Wow, see, I, 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 I did quite like her in the first one. I, I didn't but really like, pick uh, up on it in the game, in the main game, because I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention. attention yeah. But yeah, it's it's surprising. <laughs> <laughs> it, like, it just sounds really weird. Okay, um, I imagine a lot of people listening to this probably haven't picked up Rise of Tomb Raider yet. Anyway, is that is that you'd say just stick with the main game if you were getting that? Or? I think yeah, you can just stick with the main game quite happily. Like it's all right, the story it tells is fine, but the problem is it's a story about a history that has nothing to do with Tomb Raider's history. Right, it's a story about a history for the new thing that they're creating, not about the twenty years that came before. Uh, yeah, and um, the good games. I think that this was this thing, this mana thing was VR as well on PS4, possibly. Which, which I think was the other part of like, oh, you know, you're exploring her mana, so therefore in VR that's somehow more interesting. Yeah, but again, it's not even the mana from like it's not yeah, yeah. really a recreation <laughs> of that mana. It, it looks again, like nothing like someone that. else's house. It's just a big <laughs> house you're in. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes, cool. okay that's imagine weird. if Lara was in a big house hmm. wow alright then so avoid that then be it's, some... it's, it's yeah complete, if, like if you've already got the season pass and it comes in have a dip around like, yeah you know it's worth going through but hmm. don't buy it okay curious unless you really love zombie combat modes that's a yeah, that's a weird addition like is that really a, a good match for it I, I, I don't know then, having said that I've not played the new one yet I mean the combat is one of the best parts about the Tomb, Tomb Raider uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, anyway. So, yeah. Uh, but there are enough standalone combat challenges within it, anyway, as part of like the expeditions thing that they've got going on, um, which is like Square Enix love to have little side modes these days. They've mm. done it with Deus Ex as well. Um, so, if you want to muck around with the combat after the fact, there are ways of doing that without zombies. Okay, interesting. All right, cool. Uh, well, okay, then that's uh, that's Tomb Raider then. Don't buy it, Shall I guess. Shall we also, because this wasn't on the plan, talk about that time that that company released two images and the internet oh, lost yeah. their fucking mind? That's a good oh, idea, especially because I'm still looking for the uh, this week's reader questions, so that's good. I found okay. it now. I found it now. Um, that's good. Um, yeah, okay, so uh, Rockstar on Sunday. Uh, we, we are recording this on Monday, and this podcast is being released on Wednesday because of the Halo Wars embargo. 
um, Rockstar released uh, an image of their logo, uh, black on a red background, which everyone immediately took to mean a Red Dead Redemption sequel is incoming. Mm. Uh, Red Dead Redemption never having come to PC. Um, and then today they released another image of a silhouette of what are clearly cowboy guys uh, walking against the sunset, basically. Yep. And so people basically, I think all week, <coughs> my prediction is all week they're going to do this, and on Friday mm. they'll drop the trailer. Um, that seems like a very rock star thing yeah. to do. Yep. Uh, so yeah, um, the internet did lose its mind. Um, then it made lots of really lame jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there was a minor backlash towards Red Dead not being good, <laughs> which was incorrect. Yeah. And then... Uh, now we're back to people being excited again, so you know it's 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 fine. Um, so yeah, what did what did you guys make of that? Uh, it's exciting because it means that this new game might come to PC. We don't know anything yet, we don't but know. Uh, um, there is a chance that because this one isn't being developed as like a PS3 game, and mm. that, uh, that you know the the current generation is just more compatible with PC as as architecture. So Rockstar might. Yeah, that's true, and I, I think you know if you look at the success of uh, GTA and specifically GTA Online on PC, yeah, uh, there'd be. It would be ridiculous of them not to, yeah, not to develop it. PC. Yeah. That's a large market for them where mm. they can make some good bank. I completely agree. It's uh, it's it's that thing where like um, I don't sort of uh, that the whole PC release being delayed thing feels like uh, it was from Rockstar just thinking in the era of of mm. PC all PC releases being delayed and that sort of that has died out now like mm. almost everything is I, simultaneous the, i guess my worry is it's died out almost everywhere except for rockstar who do what the hell they want and everybody just lets them i think <laughs> i think they were um they're also straddling the console divide and you know that to develop the sort of special advanced ps4 like next generation version and then port that over yeah and they maybe didn't want well i don't know some companies think that pc sales cannibalize the um console sales which you can sell for more but yeah yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's it's a weird one. Like, it'd just be so big on PC, but I, I must admit, I found this incredibly exciting. Yeah, um, yeah, like, I'm fully looking forward to something from that studio, yeah. especially like Red Dead is one of my favorite games, partially because yeah. I love the Wild West as a theme for th- stuff. So yeah. just having more of that is good, even if like you know there are justifiable, not criticisms but worries that maybe. Red Dead Redemption said everything you need to say about the West and like the end of that era, and anything they do might just be retreading the ground or even moving backwards to you know it, it being a prequel or it being set in the heartland of that do, time. Do people really think that? That's so pessimistic. Like uh, on well, the other people, hand, people say it on Twitter because yeah. people <laughs> will say things on Twitter that makes them seem smart. I don't know. Even I like. I've got a hot take. The worst case, the world of... must know. <laughs> The worst case scenario is a for a Rockstar game is a story that annoys everyone, but a world that, that universally people agrees is mm. amazing. I was, you know, I love GTA Five, and um, in the, I, I think like I didn't adore Max Payne Three, um, but generally their output over the last ten years has been really interesting and uh, I do quite dazzling. Dislike Max Payne Three, <laughs> but um, some quite dazzling open worlds. And uh, Tom's not a fan of Max Payne Three either, but no, you know. No, no. <laughs> Um, More uh, read. Uh, is it the reinstall in the latest issue? Or the yeah, one that's the one coming, coming out now. So yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I pop up and feature in that. And, <laughs> yeah, but I, I did disagree with Andy. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. yeah. So I don't. I don't want to ruin it. But Tom suggests that Max Payne Three should uh, dive slow mo into a bin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, I, I, I don't know. Like uh, the thing is with Rockstar, you're not. You're not just going to get a single player open world mm. uh, cowboy game. You're going to get an MMO. 
that has uh, increasing yeah, amounts of they, new stuff. They can build in, you know. upon what Red Dead Redemption did with its online stuff, and some of that was really fantastic. Like, yeah. just just the act of riding from one end of the map to another with like other players around doing their Wild West things and hunting yeah. you down, and it was very cool. And then after the fact, they released a bunch of, um, I think it was like co-op missions uh, specifically for. Oh, they're really good. They yeah, were. they were great. I yeah. mean, they weren't quite on the level as GTA Online's heists, but they yeah. were still like proper, well-designed missions. And because you're with your friends, they are, of course, infinitely more entertaining. Oh, wasn't there a mode where, like, um, a thing where if if your friends die, they don't get the loot, but you do? And I remember just walking up to a, one of my guys who'd pulled off a heist with me in the carriage, shooting him in the head, <laughs> getting in the carriage and riding off. Amazing. And like, I'm pretty sure that was in the game. But yeah. like, I'm pretty sure he never talked to you again. <laughs> <laughs> it had more sort of, um, it had, it definitely had some sort of more persisting MMO elements than GTA 4 did, and then 5 built on it, really. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it can only be an expansion of that, hopefully. But who knows? It might still just be a remaster or something. Yeah. Which would be fine, too. That would also be good. Like, I. I mean, obviously, the person in me who gets impossibly excited about everything wants it to be both, and for them to say, hmm. "Yeah, we've remastered Red Dead Redemption," but also, yeah, remasters coming this. like, yeah, remasters coming early next year, and main games coming probably forever from now, but still. Because as we were talking about earlier, the GTA Five announcement to release cycle was quite long. That oh. was that was a long. I mean covering it for PC Gamer when in, in the lead up to its release and then the long years while we waited it for it to be ported to PC was it was a chore <laughs> how many like the words uh, why did I move here I guess it was the weather and it just burned into my brain from the amount of times I watched that first trailer like uh, yeah. um, in 2011 but yeah it's uh, it could be a way off but um mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting times. I mean, I don't know. It, can, is Rockstar now so, like, are these projects now so resource intensive that they can only make one at a time? Like, uh, what do you think they're making other stuff as well? well? I don't know what the studio balance is like these days. Mm. I mean, do, do they pull in other studios uh, to do a GTA, or is that just Rockstar North kind of locks away and does a thing while. Vancouver, wherever it is, gets to work on their thing. Well, Vancouver no longer exists. Okay, but um, San Diego is, is the one San Diego? that made um, Red Dead. I think was Vancouver exists. Bully. Yeah, it was and right. Max Payne Three, and oh. it shut after Max Payne Three came out. That deserved. <laughs> that was... You don't deserve to have jobs because I didn't like your game as much Sorry. as other people. I was deliberately being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I don't mean that at all. Things in this podcast, but no, it's very exciting. And um, the only thing that makes me think it's not a remaster is that they did that backwards compatibility thing with Xbox One earlier. Yeah, this year. they did. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and I don't know. Apart from GTA Five, they haven't traditionally done those really. Like they never re- redid like um, uh, what's it? Um, Rockstar Table Tennis. HD. <laughs> Never or um, or San Andreas HD or anything like that. They, yeah, they that's tend true. To, they tend to be quite forward-looking. I, I do yeah. wonder if, yeah, they, they'd bother doing the whatever you need to do to get Xbox One backwards compatibility to work to only then go, oh, and we've got a remaster as well. Yeah. But then also, it's not like Rockstar hasn't before engineered a situation where people buy the same game multiple times. Uh, yeah, but in the case of GTA Five, I think that was fair enough because the uh, the gap, the gulf between those two versions is extraordinary. So um, that was True. fair enough. But uh, anyway, yeah, okay, cool. Well, we'll see what that is and talk about it next week. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Along with the rest of the internet, and it'll be really insufferable. Um, but for now, we have a couple of questions to close out the podcast. So Phil's rounded these up. Uh, you can mail us at pcgameatfuturenet.com. Uh, with the subject of their podcast, yeah, and uh, Phil will uh, send them to me, and I will read them out uh, on this podcast. That's basically how it works. I don't know why that took me so long to say, 
It's okay. a very simple concept. <laughs> it is, yeah. Jet. Hey guys, love the podcast. Love this guy already. One thing I've noticed while browsing the PC Gamer site, especially when looking at the list type articles you guys occasionally do, is that the comment sections are always filled with people disagreeing with your articles, frequently even bashing on you guys as writers or PC gamers. So my question is, how do you guys deal with it when you write an article and a large mass of people call it bad or garbage? <laughs> Brackets, as a side note, even when I don't fully agree with a list, I like to read it just to see what other, pe- other people's opinions are and see if any of my favourites also made the list. Um, uh, oh, there's also a thing about leaving a review on the, of a podcast on the Google Play Store. I don't really understand that. But that's from Ethan Smith. So that's, I, uh, just to address the last thing quickly, the, Ethan's asking if we can get uh, the podcast listed on Google Play. Uh, to which the answer is no, we can't because it's not available in the UK yet. Uh, so whenever I try to go to the page to do it, it says no, don't. You cannot get podcasts on Google Play. You have to use an app like Stitcher, don't you, or something like that. Yeah, um, and Google Play is integrating it, but they're doing it in the US first. So yeah. there is nothing we can do right now. Yeah, sorry about that. You have to blame Google, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> um, responsible for so many of life sales. Uh, it's interesting. I didn't, I didn't actually read this before I, uh, before I read it, but now thinking about it, like... I don't really care. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's yeah. got to be the answer, isn't it? Like these fit, uh, lists are constructed the full understanding that people will loudly disagree with them. Someone will almost argue that was their purpose. Yeah, but that's but, not true though. It's not. They uh, are. They're meant to be entertaining and yeah. informative. You know, and like, and uh, also like to to create debate as well. Like we don't like deliberately choose something controversial. Like we literally believe what we think what we're writing about is good, and hopefully the writer justifies why. And it might be like an off the wall choice, but you know there's some reasoning behind it yeah. and uh, it gives readers a chance to respond with their own favorites in nice cases or um, just to bash the writers but yeah, that's you get on any site the one so. we did recently um about the gaming cities yeah best gaming cities, that, that was, was a good one that was a fairly that had a good response in the comments because people were saying oh what about this or this i really like this place in some cases one of the writers went oh yeah that is a good city that i'd forgotten about okay what was that city out of interest i don't remember <laughs> <laughs> sorry i don't know why i put you on the spot like that <laughs> Um, I yeah. just remember seeing a thing and thinking, yes, that was a city that existed that I acknowledge. Well, that's nice. I, yeah. I, that's good. Um, I uh, yeah, I never take it personally. I think the the thing that people don't understand is that when we do a list, it's not at the exclusion of all other things. It's <laughs> just uh, it's basically saying these are twenty of the yeah. best things. It's uh, it's not saying that your thing is rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's people take that personally. But no, I, I don't mind. I, I think I think lists are good as well. Like um, you know, it's not uh, it's it's uh, the. The writing's always kind of passionate. People choose things that they're interested in. That's why you'll see specific writers write about specific things on our lists and yeah. little bylines of them. That's because hey, we, we give a crap about what we're talking about. It's just another format for talking about games we like, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, nine or ten million people come through the site every uh, month. And if you're writing sure. for a, a site, <laughs> that, just saying, if you, write, if you write for a site of that size, then you're just going to get you, you expect to get someone shit. will be angry at you, and you, you just have thick skin about it. But I would rather have lots of angry comments than no comments, so uh, <laughs> as frequently good. happens. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, it does. Okay, cool. Um, which games can I realistically look forward to that might scale the heights of MGS5 now that Kojima has moved on slash been moved out? That's from Phil Clark. Phil was I don't know why I deleted this, but uh, the subject line was specifically referencing stealth. There. Okay, but we can widen it up if you have any good answers. Um, well, I guess like the most obvious one that comes to mind is probably Dishonored 2 if you like stealth games. But um, hmm. I don't know, like Tony Ellis of PC Gamer, our production editor, um, suggests that Metal Gear Solid 5 has ruined all games for him. Yeah, um, <laughs> wow. Because it's so. I, I see what he means. It's yeah. so detailed that, like, um, he said that playing Deus Ex has been a bit of a come down because, like, it's just not as responsive mm. um, and, like, or, or perfectly formed in terms of, like, AI behavior and just interactions. You know, all kind of com. Every sort of bit of combat interaction feels pretty good in MGS Five. 
Yeah, I can't see it being made anything like it ever been yeah, made ever again. Yeah, I don't think even Dishonored uh, 2 will capture the same thing. Like, it, as However well-constructed it is, it's not going to be operate on the same scale and with the same sort... It's a very different experience playing yeah. the two things. Um, because part... like Much of the fun of MGS5 is just sort of going around places and actually driving between separate areas and thinking, well, what trouble can I get in over there? Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, there's an S-plus ranked soldier. I'm going in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or like um, just a, a things like a day and night cycle and like a sandstorm coming in, yeah. like uh, all these other elements and like getting stuff like dropped in so you can have any tactical option you want at any uh, point in the game and there's uh, an in-game logic to it. Like it's, yeah. uh, you can't have that same large-scale systemic sandbox nature to something like Solid, which is a bit more controlled. Like. Yeah. It simply costs too much money to make. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, it got off the ground with Kojima probably because Kojima is Kojima. And even so, like. And it, seemed, yeah, it seems like it, Kojima didn't exactly make it without casualties there. He, yeah. He left that company under what seems like quite strange circumstances. Yeah. Probably because that game took so long to make. Yeah, and you can see why. It's absolutely gigantic, uh, amazing thing. As well, kind of, um, the only disappointment with Metal Gear Survive is that hmm. they didn't just make a Metal Gear Solid 6 that they has a different you. environment with the yeah. same systems. They, sure, I, they, they must. I mean, if they can, the, the engine is there, all the technology is there, the systems are in place, like yeah. all, all that design has been done, just a new Warzone, Metal Gear Solid 6. Bosch out in 2019. Yeah, the, just a fucking ice level, you know? Like, <laughs> you might as well capitalise on all the work that went into it. I mean, yeah, like, none of that stuff will be out of date. And, mm. like, uh, who knows? Maybe they will make that at some point. But I don't think they should wait that long. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so I don't know. No, there probably won't be anything on that scale for a long time. It's part of the reason we gave it our game of the year is because it felt mm. like a real one off, you know? And uh, in the same way that Alien Isolation did the year before. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's part of the reason we picked it. Um, so, hey, maybe in 10 years. Kojima will have made Death Stranding and yeah, will have not, any idea what that is. Do you not think that's going to be a pretentious pile of wank starring Norman Reedus that gets like 65%? Like, <laughs> I just no, can't it's shake K the feeling it's, it's going to be. So it might be a pretentious pile of wank starring Norman, Norman Reedus that gets like 100% that's from true, yeah. many outlets. <laughs> because true. I saw what happened with Metal Gear 4. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But like... um. He uh, he does seem to just be on holiday at the moment, like uh, going yes. to different studios. He so. just likes visiting studios, and this seems to be a way to do it. And I don't think that game will come out for like four years or something. But um, no, but see. they've got a logo. They've, uh, mm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Well, that's uh, those are our questions for this week. Um, you can also tweet us. I'm Samuel W. Roberts uh, on Twitter. Send me a question if you like for the podcast, Phil. Uh, at Octader, O C T A E D E R. At PCG Ludo, that's cool. And Tom doesn't tweet often, but when he tweets, it's a banger. Yeah, like absolutely. That. I'd load it all up. I think <laughs> spend hours thinking about it, and then, man, I, deploy them. I like your dis your dishonored uh, tweet about the what's it that guy. There. Oh, the outsider. The outsider. Yeah. Oh, he's the worst character in games. <laughs> <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> just, yeah, you can check uh, out on Tom's Twitter feed now. But yeah, um, that's cool. I guess that's why they're recasting him in the new one. Yeah, it's good. Um, good decision. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so we'll be back next week talking about more computer games. I'm not sure what yet, um, but there'll be some other stuff. No doubt we'll dissect that Red Dead announcement if there is one anyway. If there is one. And uh, yeah, uh, see you next time. Bye.